Lord, we thank you this morning that we can come and hear your word. We thank you, Lord, that even though we are few in number, Lord, we know that your word is powerful and, um, Lord, we pray for our number that is away. We pray that, and for churches, Lord, even in this area here this morning, that your word might be proclaimed and that your your name might be honoured. So we pray for, um, Lord, the meditation of our hearts, the words of my mouth might be acceptable to you. Um, in Christ's name we ask. Amen. Okay, so this proclamation, when was it made? So verse 4 that I just read in, in Mark um, gives us the period of time when the proclamation was made. So verse 4, it says, And so John came baptising in the desert region and preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Verse 5, The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him. So the context for this proclamation, the Jewish nation is under um, Roman occupation and um, I like the way Joel gives overviews of the Bible to give a context to where he is. And the context where this is is we had the Roman occupation, which is currently the Judean uh, province where John the Baptist is now baptising people. Prior to that, we had um, the Greek occupation under Alexander the Great, Great. Um, and then the Medo-Persian Empire prior to that and then the Babylonian Empire prior to that, where the people of God around 720 BC were taken into captivity. Um, so John the Baptist was the last of the prophets in the Old Testament, really, even though he's in the New Testament, he's an Old Testament prophet. And up, up until then, we had a period of about 460 years where it was silent. The last prophet to speak was Malachi, um, and that was about 460 years prior to John the Baptist. Um, so verse 2 and 3 gives us the time as well because Isaiah the prophet, um, Isaiah prophesied in verse 2 and 3 about the time that he would prepare the way for the Lord and, pre- and prelude the coming of the Messiah. So we see John the Baptist fulfilling prophecy there. Um, so we need to be assured that the Bible is accurate. I mean, when we read the Bible, it's not just a fairy tale. It's not just um, stories created by man. It's actually an accurate historical account of God. So... God's word is very careful to include the details necessary to validate this period. Um, and there's a really good passage in Luke. We've been doing Luke in our Bible studies slowly with, uh, with some people on a fortnightly basis and Sundays. But Luke chapter 3, verse 1 and 2, I'll just read it for you. Um, it says, In the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, so it gives us who the Caesar is, when Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea, so it gives us an accurate account of who the governor was, Herod, Tetrarch of Galilee, his brother Philip, Tetrarch of Iteria and Traconis, and Lysanias, Tetrarch of Albaline. So we know who the Tetrarchs were. Um, During the high priesthood of Anus and um, Caiaphas, so we know who the high priests of Israel were, the word of the Lord came to John, son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. So the context for John the Baptist is clearly stated in historical terms. Um, for the Jew, there's no turning away from or trying to say, oh, there's something wrong for the details of this, t- this period of time when the proclamation was made. It's accurate and it's historical. So where was the place where the pro- proclamation was made? And we look down to verse 19 and, and in verse 14, um, we see where the proclamation was. So in verse 9... Um, At the time Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee 
and was baptised by John in the Jordan. And then in verse 14, um, John was put in prison. Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. So we have a, an accurate description of where the place was. Um, and it's interesting, why Galilee? Is Galilee an important place enough for the inaugural speech, the inaugural public message of, of, of Jesus? Um, why not Jerusalem? You'd think if the Messiah is coming that he would make his inaugural speech in the, the city of God, um, the place where the priesthood was, you know, the place where the centre of worship was. Um, that's where you would think Yahweh would make his presence known. Um, all, people came from all over the, the known world at that time. The Jews came, um, those who were, who were um, adhering to the Jewish teachings, came from all over the world to Jerusalem, to the centre of worship, um, the centre of Jewish political power, the place where the kings of Israel reigned on their thrones. Um, you would think that that would be the place that the proclamation was made, but no, it's in Galilee. Um, it's a bit like the US president making his inaugural speech in El Paso in Texas instead of in Washington, D.C. You know, why would you know, the king of the universe come and make his, his inaugural speech in Galilee Galilee was a backward sort of place. It was regarded as irreligious. Um, the revolutions that started in Israel generally started in Galilee, so there was a lot of revolutionaries there. Um, there was nothing about Galilee really that warranted where Jesus um, would start his public ministry. In fact, in John 1, it, um, Nathaniel says, Nazareth, can anything good come out of Nazareth? When um, the, disciple, the other disciples said that, you know, Jesus from Nazareth is here. So it was a, a place that was belittled. But it was the place that God had chosen for him to, for Jesus to commence his public ministry. And it was prophesied in the book of Isaiah, so you don't need to turn there, but in Isaiah 9.1 it talks about um, there will be no gloom for those who are in distress. In the past he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, but in the future he will honour Galilee of the nations by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan. So this is written hundreds of years prior to Jesus coming on the scene. So the Messiah was to honour Galilee, and we see Jesus commencing his public ministry there. So we, we've seen the, um, the period, we've seen the place. Um, who is the person that makes this proclamation? So verse 1, we go back to there, it says, um, the beginning of the good news about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God. So the person about to make the proclamation is the Messiah. So the Messiah, um, or Christ, means the anointed one. So the name of Jesus means saviour. Um, so he's the one that is the promised one that will deliver his people, um, that will come and save his people, as was foretold many times in the prophets hundreds of years before. It also says that he was the son of God. So Jesus, the Messiah, the son of God, so he was the one that always has been with the Father. And in John, we see that um, John in 1 John 4.14, as we have seen and testify, the Father has sent the Son to be the Saviour of the world. So he's the divine one. Um, 1 John says the Word was with God, referring to Jesus. Um, and the Word was God, and the Word became flesh and dwelt amongst us. So he's the Son of God. We also see in verse 2 to 8 that um, John the, Baptize, the Baptist actually heralded, heralded his coming and prepared the way for him. 
And in other Gospels we see John referring to Jesus as the, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Um, and also we read in, um, in, in the passage here that he was the one that um, John wasn't even worthy to untie his sandals. So he really elevated Jesus um, and, his, um, and who he was and, and, and how honourable he was. In verse 9, we also see that the person was the one who was beloved by the Father. At Jesus' baptism, the Father and the Spirit identified who Jesus was. God said, well, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And so we see this, the Spirit of God descending upon him um, and God saying, my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And um, then we see in verse 12 that the Spirit descends on him, but then the Spirit leads him into the wilderness. And we see there that um, Jesus spent time in the wilderness. Now, there's some interesting little comments here in, in, in the verses. Um, and you think sometimes, why, why does God put things in his word that, um, that are there? For example, where is it? in verse 13, it says, um, he was with wild animals and angels attended him. Why would it say he was with wild animals? And I think it's alluding to the temptation of Jesus in the wilderness. Um, the Bible says that Jesus was the second Adam. And so the first Adam was, wasn't in the wilderness, he was in paradise. Um, the first Adam was, you know, he had animals there, but they were subdued. The animals were under control. Actually, Adam was naming the animals. But here we, we don't, Jesus doesn't find himself in the garden. He doesn't find himself in somewhere that's perfect, somewhere where there's subdued animals. He finds himself in the desert where there's no food. Um, the tree of life isn't there. Um, it's just stones. Whereas the first Adam was in the garden. Um, there was a tree of life. There were subdued animals. It was a perfect environment. Um, the first Adam was tempted. And it was only one small conversation, really, with, with, um, with the devil. And the second Adam was tempted in the wilderness for 40 days, and it was intense temptation. So um, with, with the wild animals, not with the tamed animals. Um, so the first Adam failed miserably, just with one temptation. But we see here the, the second Adam, Jesus, in the, in the, in the wilderness... Um, succeeded and triumphed over all the temptation of the evil one. But the thing is, is the, fir the first Adam came into a perfect environment and left a mess. The second Adam came into that mess that the first Adam left um, and then paved the way for us to return back to the tree of life. And so we see just how... Um, it's. Jesus is um, the work that Jesus did is basically reversing what happened at the fall of man, um, and this is only a small passage. There's many other passages in the, in the New Testament that refer to that in Romans and other areas. But in terms of the proclamation, um, the context there is Jesus' baptism. He was um, identified by God as the one, and then his temptation, where he he tried and he, tr he was trialed. And he succeeded against the powers of darkness, against the kingdoms of this world, trying to tempt him and to uh, steer away his mission. Okay. So Jesus comes into a fallen, broken mess and leads his people back to the tree of life. So we've seen the period, the place, the person. 
what is the proclamation? Now, I'll come back to that uh, question I asked you before. What proclamation would you make to give hope to the world? So verse 14. After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. So we see the good news. The proclamation actually is good news. Um, I alluded to bad news when I started my um, sermon this morning, but it's good news. It's the gospel. And what is the nature of this good news? Well, the nature of this good news is it brings salvation. Actually, the name Jesus means saviour, the one who brings salvation. And it's good news of the gospel. It's the good news, not a good news. If you look at the word there, it's actually in Greek, the um, definite article. It's, it's the good news, not a good news, not a gospel. Um, the Bible makes it clear there's no other name under heaven by which we, we need to be saved. There's only the name of Jesus and by which men can be saved. So there's no other man-made religion. Um, there's no other message. It's the gospel, the good news. There is no other good news. So what then is the proclamation? What is this good news? Okay, let's break it down. Verse 15. Starts saying, the time has come, or the time is fulfilled in the ESV version. So the time for the fulfilment of God's purpose about his Messiah has come. The prophecies about God, God's coming to deliver his people, have come to fulfilment. And the promises all the way from Genesis to Malachi regarding the Messiah have come to fruition. The word now has become flesh and dwells amongst us. So the time has come. And Hebrews 1.1 says, In the past God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times in various ways, but in these last days he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom he also made the universe. Galatians 4 tells us, When the fullness of time came, God sent his Son. So God intervenes in history. History isn't just some purposeless, you know, um, carriage of time. God intervenes, and history has a purpose. And so John the Baptist has completed his preparation work. He's now in prison. Um, Jesus has been prepared through baptism, through his trial in the wilderness, and God's time has come. Now, it's interesting, that time period of time, if you look throughout history, um, there was various empires and um, they didn't have the communication methods that we've got today to get messages out. But at this point in time, under the Roman Empire... Um, we see that civilization is ready for a message. Um, what do I mean by that? Well, in the first century, the Greek language was a universal language. So all across the civilized world, there was one language at that time, the first time in history um, at that period of time where the Roman Empire... Um, and also the Old Testament was translated into Greek. The Septuagint version of the Old Testament was actually available in the Greek language. So the known world at the time had availability to God's word. Um, we also see the spread of the Jewish synagogue at the time. So there were Jewish synagogues all over the known world at the time. Um, so there was a, a pulpit for God's word across the Roman Empire. We also see that the Romans were very good engineers. Um, they built roads. They built um, shipping. They had shipping channels. They had communication channels. Um, the political system, there was a judicial, judicial system. Um, they took census, so they knew who was where. They knew the genealogies of people, um, which where your place of birth was. 
Um, so that was all recorded, and so it provided the, a fertile ground for, um, for God to send his son so that it might be without dispute the place, the, the time, um, the setting, and, and yeah, where the proclamation was going to be made. So God has purpose in time and history, and it's been unfolding since the hum, first humans so we're not here by accident. Um, we're not a chance of random chemicals that have come together. God is in control of history. In fact, history is his story. That's what it's about. Um, and, and it's not just an endless timeline. That, you know, some people say, well, it sort of revolves. There isn't really a linear timeline. God has acted in history, and he controls history. Um, in fact, Daniel 2 says he changes times and seasons. He disposes kings and raises up others. So God is in control. Um, kingdoms come and kingdoms go, but God is in control. And we can have great assurance in that. So we can see the world is ready for the proclamation. What else do we see in verse 15? So the time is at hand, um, the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is near, is, an, is the next um, part of Jesus' proclamation. So when the kingdom of God is here, that means a kingdom has a king. It means God's king is here. Um, God's king in Jesus. So in verse 1 it says, um, it refers to Jesus as the Christ, the anointed one, the Messiah, um, which means there's going to be a regime change. If, God is king, if God's kingdom is coming to earth and God's king is on earth and there's the kingdom of darkness on earth, it means there's going to be a change. There's going to be a regime change. Um, God's king is here. So it's interesting in verse 1 it talks about Jesus, uh, the gospel of God, and then... Um, it talks about the gospel of Jesus. So they're used interchangeably because Jesus is God's king. In fact, Jesus is God. He sits on the throne and, and, is, uh, and, and reigns with God. The psalm that, um, that Danny read for us this morning, Jesus, um, the psalmist says, I have installed my king in Zion, my holy hill. I have installed my king on Zion, my holy mountain. Um, I will proclaim the Lord's decree. He said to me, you are my son, today I have become your father. Ask and I will make, your nation, make the nations your inheritance, the ends of the earth your possession. So God's king is here, he's installed his king. And we've been hearing um, messages by, particularly by Joshua, about the, the parables of the kingdom, how God's kingdom will grow. So even though we look around our, the world today and we think, well, how can God's kingdom be here? How can it be near? Um, there is a regime change taking place. And it's going to end with a complete domination of the kingdom of God over the kingdom of darkness. Um, and when we pray the Lord's Prayer, what do we say? We say, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So we're praying that God's kingdom will come. Um, and we know it will. His kingdom will come on earth. And we have a problem with that because as human beings who have rebelled against God, um, we want to rule our own lives. And, and as we've read in Psalms and other places, those that oppose God's kingship and his rule um, will be destroyed. That's what it basically says. There's destruction coming upon that. And so we need to either bow or we defy. There's nowhere in between. You know, we either bow to God and his kingship and accept him as Lord or we go off our own and um, self-rule, and there are consequences for that. 
So we, yeah, we need to acknowledge the king of this kingdom. So what is the response? If we go back to verse 15 again, so the time has come, the kingdom of God is at hand, what should we do? And it's quite clear there. Two things we need to do. Firstly, we need to repent. And repenting isn't just, you know, being sorrowful. There's more to repentance than that. It is acknowledging our sin and being sorrowful, but it's also actually turning around. So we're heading in one direction. We need to turn around and head in a different direction. So in one direction we're heading self-rule, we're in charge, we're the kings of our lives. Um, We need to turn around, acknowledge that, be sorrowful for that, repent, and turn around and acknowledge God as king of our lives. Um, So that's where repenting. But it's not just repenting. It's also believing. So as we turn towards God, we need to look at something. We need to have an object um, to focus on, to believe on, and to, to have faith in. And that's what belief means, to have faith. Um, we need to believe the good news. And Hebrews tells us without faith it is impossible to please God. So we need to turn from self and we need to trust in him for our deliverance from our sins. So it's really important. I've been... Um, Recently, a friend of mine's, um, someone, a relative, was in hospital and um, and they were, they, the friend said to me, well, they've got a lot of faith, they'll get through it. And I said, what, what do they have their faith in? And this particular friend of his, friend of a friend, um, had a crystal on the side of the bed and he says he's got a lot of faith. That's why I think he's going to get through this. And I said, well, what, what's his faith in? He said, oh, he's got a crystal. And his crystal was given to him by a special person that came out of a special place out of the, the, um, the earth somewhere. Um, and because he's got a lot of faith, he's going to be healed. He's going to get well. Um, and even the person believed that because this guy had a lot of faith, he's going to get well. But I said, well, what's the object of the faith? Um, and he said, the crystal. And he said, well, is it the, object, is it the faith or is it the object of the faith that matters? Um, and he said, well, probably both. <laughs> Um, when in fact the Bible said if you have a faith as small as a mustard seed, you can move mountains. Why? Because it's not, the, the, ob- it's not the, the faith that matters, it's the object of the faith. In fact, the faith itself is a gift from God as well that we have. It's the object of the faith. And our object of, of faith is Jesus Christ, okay? And you can be confident in him. So if you have faith in Jesus, even if it's a little bit of faith, which comes from God anyway, you can be totally confident that Jesus will fulfill what he says he will do and that he saved you and uh, through what he did. So it's the object of our faith. Focus on the object, not on your faith. Okay, look at Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Okay, so faith, uh, repentance and belief is what, the good news, um, what we need to do. Believe the good news. Repent and believe the good news. So really there's only two options. There's only two prospects here. So f- finishing off on... So we've looked at the, play, the period, the place, the, um, the person, the proclamation. It just actually happened to come out at five Ps. I don't normally try to arrange that sort of thing, but I always laugh when, when sermons have five Ps or four Cs, but it came out that way. Um, so the prospects. For those who believe the proclamation, they're taken out of the kingdom of darkness and they're placed in the kingdom of light. So that's good news. But for those who don't believe the proclamation, acknowledge the king... Um, it's not really good news. It's actually really bad news, um, as we saw in Psalm 2. Um, it's not good news at all. So, and the other thing is God has acted in history. 
He's acted decisively in history. Um, the next act, so we see God acting in history. The next act actually is the end. Jesus has come. We're in the last days now. The next act of God um, isn't going to be another period of time where we can, you know, just do what we like and um, nothing's going to happen. And there's no second chance. The next act in God of God in history is going to be the end. That's it. The proclamation's been made. The time has come. The kingdom is at hand. The next act, it tells us in um, Hebrews 9 that it is appointed unto men once to die and after that judgment. So the next thing in our lives, either we're going to die or Jesus returns and the end comes. Um, that's it. Corinthians tells us that today is a day of salvation. There's an urgency. It's today. It's not tomorrow. It's not this afternoon or this evening before we go to sleep. It's right now. Today is the day of salvation. So... We can't assume that we're just going to live our lives and nothing's going to happen and we're going to enjoy and have families and, you know, um, five-bedroom houses of two garages and a boat or whatever we, we dream about. There's going to be an end and it's going to come sooner than we, than we expect. Okay, so for those who trust in Jesus, um, just to finalise, let me urge you, repent. For those who trust in, uh, don't know Jesus, repent and believe. Believe the good news of the gospel and turn to him. And for those who trust in Jesus, let me encourage you to share this good news. So going to back to my question about what would you say, what would you say now if, if you had one proclamation to make to the world? Um, what would you say? I know we know the Lord's Prayer, and if people ask you well, what, what's the model prayer, um, you'd probably go to the Lord's Prayer because Jesus said this is how you should pray. I'd see this as the model sermon and a little elevator talk that you can have in your mind that we can use. Um, so believers, tell people, share it. Share it with others. Share the good news that the time has come. The kingdom of God is at hand. There is a king, a Lord. Um, what do we need to do? Repent and believe the gospel. Believe the good news. And you can guarantee you won't dread bad news if you accept that good news. I mean, there's going to be bad news. It doesn't mean there's not going to be any bad news. You're, not, you're still going to get the letter from the landlord saying you've been evicted. That's still going to come. But we have the good news that our eternity with God is safe, um, that we are part of his kingdom now. We've been taken out of the kingdom of darkness, put into the kingdom of light, and so we can live in this world with that view, that eternal view that we, are, we have a home with God, that, um, that we, are, we, we are his people, we are in his kingdom. Hallelujah. So the time has come, the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the good news. Let's pray. Lord God, you love the world so much that you gave your only son that whoever believes in him, in your son, will not perish but have eternal life. We thank you, Lord, for that good news. Lord, we thank you that you gave it to us. In our sins, Lord, you came and sent Jesus. And Lord, you've, those of us, all of us who are your enemies, Lord, um, you've given us your good message and we pray lord that we might not rebel we might not remain your enemies in the kingdom of darkness but we might turn to you lord and and seek your face and seek your mercy and grace and lord for those who don't know you lord we pray you might empower them those who have trusted you lord we pray you might empower them to proclaim the gospel um, the good news in every opportunity and we ask these things in jesus name amen